Our theme this year is As You Go, and we are in uh, a series of lessons based on the book of Matthew. I hope you have your Matthew book with you today. If you have not picked up one, we've temporarily run out. We'll have more here tomorrow. Uh, we've only given out so far this year 3,000 of them. And that's a joke, folks, not 3,000. But we have given out, uh, I think, over 700. And so uh, I hope you have one, uh, and I hope you're reading it, and I hope you're taking notes, because what a wonderful blessings uh, these little books are to keep you focused on where we're going. Now, as I have been mentioning for quite some time, uh, it's test time. All right? Test time. Some of you think I haven't taken a test in a long, long time. All right, let's take a test this morning. It's going to be a very simple test, five questions. And, uh, and by the way, you get to grade your own test. You don't have to swap it with anyone. You, you just self-grade. And let's see if you've been remembering where different events have been occurring. Now, we've gone through five chapters. Last week, Stan uh, took us to the Sermon on the Mount, took us to a passage that really focused on how disciples are to resist without resisting violently, you know, what it means to turn the other cheek, what it means to go the extra mile, what it means to let someone have everything if they're going to sue you. Beautiful job. It has how we live different from the world. But we've looked all the way through chapter 5. Uh, not covering every aspect, just kind of, you know, picking little themes here and there that we've looked at. So here are the first five questions. Question number one, in which chapter do you read of the visit of the Magi or the wise men? So in your mind, in which chapter, and by the way, there's only five, one, two, three, four, five. Which chapter do you have the visit of the Magi? And the answer is chapter two. Second chapter, all right? So keep in your mind, did you get that one? Did you not? Question number two. In which chapter does an angel of the Lord appear to Joseph in a dream and tell him to take Mary as his wife? Now, an angel is going to appear to Joseph a couple of times. But which chapter has him appealing to Joseph and telling him, you take Mary to be your wife? Got the answer in your head? And the answer is chapter one. All right, it's the birth narrative of, of Jesus there at the end of chapter 1. Chapter, uh, question number 3, in which chapter do you find the Beatitudes? Now, we haven't studied the Beatitudes. It's one of those texts we kind of passed over, but it's in one of the chapters we've already read. So which chapter has the Beatitudes? You have it in your mind? Answer is chapter 5, which is the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. So how are you doing so far, Okay. We doing good? All right, question number four. In which chapter do you find Jesus' genealogy? I call it the begot chapter. Because Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, you know, right down the line. And the answer to question number four is chapter one. Chapter one. And then the last question. Y'all are going, whew, finally. Last question, question number five, a little bit more difficult. In which chapter do you find Jesus moving from Nazareth to Capernaum? From where he was raised as a kid to where he would begin his ministry. Which chapter tells us he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum? And the answer to that question is chapter four. All right, here we go. Now, add up your grades. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone, Okay. But uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you got all five of them? 
Okay, y'all, I'm going to preach a lot longer today. I, wow. Wow. Okay. We, we had some. We had, we had, you know, a handful here and there. Uh, how many of you got four out of the five? Okay, okay. All right, y'all, y'all got an 80. All right. Okay, uh, we're going to keep doing this. By the way, this is whole purpose is to help us to be able to say to people, by the way, if you want to know where, you know, Peter makes a good confession, turn over to Matthew 16. If, if you want to know where you have that, that terrible announcement of this coming destruction, Matthew 24. If you want to know where you find the parable of the sower, go over to Matthew 13. Because if you learn Matthew, you're also going to learn the book of Mark. Not, not necessarily that the chapters all correspond, but the events do correspond. And, and all I'm hoping that we can do is by the end, by the time we get to the end, at the end of summer of Matthew, we can say, you know what? I've got a pretty good handle of the life of Jesus. All right. We, we turn now to chapter 6, second chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, at the end of chapter 4, Matthew describes everything that Jesus was doing, what he was teaching and what he was doing as far as healing and, and casting out demons and things like that. And so when you get to chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have Matthew's version of his teachings. Luke's going to have the same version over in his gospel, except it's going to be a different sermon. It's going to be called the Sermon on the Plain. It's going to be his teaching, but it, it comes at it from a little bit different direction. But in chapter 6, Jesus basically says there's three things that disciples have to focus on in their life and answer some basic questions. Number one on that list is how are you doing with spiritual habits? We'll talk about that here in just a second. Number two, what are you doing with your wealth? How do you look at your wealth if you have wealth? And then number three is the flip side of this one, and that is... If you don't have wealth, how are you handling that? What are you doing with your anxiety? What are you doing with your worries? I mean, when you don't know where your next meal is coming from, how do you handle that? And so he's going to talk about that as he gets to the end of chapter 6. So spiritual habits, wealth, and then the flip side of wealth, the lack of wealth. We start with spiritual habits. Spiritual habits, and John Micah, thank you so much. John's been pushing this for a long time. I mean, he's been pushing it with our shepherds. He's been pushing it in classes. In fact, his Sunday morning class right now is on this topic, which has to do with Sabbath. And, and Sabbath is a spiritual habit. Spiritual habits are sometimes called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. They're simply things that you do every day that make you spiritually healthy. For instance, one of the things I try to do three or four times a week is eat oatmeal in the morning. Oatmeal is supposed to be good for your heart. And so I'll eat a bowl of oatmeal. Uh, I try to go to the gym three, four times a week. Some of y'all are going, really? I, I do. I do. I spend the entire time at the gym drinking coffee and talking to people about their exercise habits. <laughs> you know, wh what are you doing... For your physical health, I know a lot of you take walks, a lot of you watch your diet, a lot of you, you know, you're doing things to help you physically. What about spiritually? That's what these are. And, and when you turn to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to address this, and he's going to contrast it between those that, that his disciples were seeing 
in their various communities who quote-unquote were spiritual as opposed to those that he's calling to follow him. Notice how he begins. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Righteousness simply here means your, your practices that are supposed to help you become more righteous. That's all that means. Okay, It's not a, a negative term. It's a positive term. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And the problem here is that you had a group of people known as the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were notorious for wanting everyone to see how righteous they were. And so you notice the language here back in chapter 5. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've got to tell you that early in my life, I read this wrong. I read it horribly wrong. I read it to say that if the Pharisees were fasting two days a week, maybe we needed to fast three days a week. Or if the Pharisees, this is the one that really got me, if the Pharisees were giving 10% of their income, I had to at least give 11% of my income. Now, some of y'all are looking at me going, that's worse than the Pharisees. That's the problem. It was. He's not talking about here, if the Pharisees are doing this much, you've got to do a little bit more. That's not what he's talking about at all. I love the Passion Translation. For I tell you, unless your lives are more pure and full of integrity. It has to do with who you are in here. It has to do with with what you're trying to do to please God, not to please others. And so as you get into chapter 6, what what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, first of all, let me tell you how the hypocrites do it. Here's how they do it. Then I want to tell you how my disciples need to do it. And then you'll see God's blessings that come as a result of it. And so when we dive in, he begins with giving. What we did just a few moments ago. He says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. Now let that sink in for a moment. Don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites do. At the synagogue, on the street corner. I mean, can you imagine coming to church one Sunday morning and outside is one of our elders with one of these shofars and he's blowing the shofar because he says, we've got a sister who's going to give a great sum of money today and we want to celebrate it. Really? I mean, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were basically saying, we want everyone to notice how generous we are and how much we give to God. And Jesus says, not my disciples. That's not how we respond. But when you give to the needy, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, of course, you read that and you go, that's a little difficult. Yeah, it's, it's, it's parabolic nat- uh, language here. It's hyperbole. I mean, you can't you know, with one hand put something in and your other hand don't know it. All right, I get that. Jesus is just making a play on words. But his point is, do it in secret so that your giving may be in secret. I mean, we, we, we don't need to say, wow, look how much I'm giving to the Lord. Just give to the Lord. And notice what it says, and your father who sees in secret, he's going to reward you. One of the things I appreciate about this church is that we don't broadcast what people give. 
I don't have a clue what any of y'all give. Not a bit. I, I don't know. I don't know what checks come in. I don't know, you know, how generous different people are. If somebody came to me and said, who's the most generous person in this church? I'd go, I don't have a clue. You know, as far as the amount is concerned. Why? Because what we give is between us and God. And I appreciate our leadership making sure that's the case. He moves next to prayer. And he says, by the way, prayer is the same way. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Because they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. I was a teenager... And our church on Sunday nights would invite us teenagers to lead opening prayer, to learn how to pray. In this particular night, it was one of my best friend's night to lead opening prayer. He had never led opening prayer at church, never had done it. He's in, the, he's in about maybe the 10th grade. And so he gets up to lead opening prayer. He gets up to the podium and he says, let us pray. And I'm like, where'd that voice come from? And then he began praying, Our Father, which art in heaven. And I'm like, what happened to my, my, my bud? I mean, the voice coming out of him is demonic. This is not him. And, and he kept praying. And, of course, what he did, which a lot of us did growing up. Come on. I don't know about you. My first prayer I ever learned was at the dinner table. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. I must have prayed that a million times. I mean, Dad would look at me and say, Les, lead us in prayer. That was my prayer. And then Dad would say, great prayer, you know. I mean, yeah, I get that we take these phrases and we use them over and over again. My friend that night used all of them. Man, he guard, guided, and directed you. (laughs) This was my, he he prayed for those who are sick of this church. Now, y'all think about that. I'm sick of this church. You know, maybe that's the wrong group you pray for. You know? I mean, he, he, he prayed to be with, you know, the sick and the afflicted. You know, I always felt like I was included in that group. You know? Now, I appreciated so much him wanting to get up and lead a prayer. But it was very obviously he wanted to impress everyone. Now, he went on to become a preacher, and for that, I applaud I'm just saying that sometimes we get, you know, wanting, wanting to sound good gets the best of us. When you pray, also don't in, uh, heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. All of us who grew up going to church remember certain brothers when they led prayer, don't we? I mean, they'd get up and announce, Brother so-and-so is going to lead us in our prayer tonight, and we'd go, oh, no, not Brother so-and-so. Because you knew you were in for 15 minutes. I mean, that thing was going to go on and on and on, and you're like, oh, wow. Now, again, there's times to pray long prayers. There really are. But Jesus is just saying, listen, there are some basics about prayer that, I mean, if you'll just think about them for a moment, and then he goes straight into, here's how you pray. And you have the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray this together at the end of service. I think it to be be one of the most important prayers that we can incorporate in our prayer life. You say, just just saying what we already know, yes. And letting it sink in. Again, growing up in a legalistic church when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to pray this prayer. 
because of the second line up there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom had already come, therefore this prayer was no longer appropriate. In other words, the church had been established. And that's not, what, that's not even what Jesus is talking about there. But because of that, I remember in the first grade going to classes and the teacher would say, let's all stand, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer. And I'm like, I can't recite the Lord's Prayer. It's not appropriate. The second line is wrong. I mean, you see how you kind of get caught up in this legalism of where you're so concerned about not messing up, you don't learn what it's all about. I know of a church that prays this prayer every Sunday. As a church, they just get up and pray the Lord's Prayer. I think that's wonderful. I think this should be the very heart of who we are as the people of God. It's what Jesus said to pray for. Very simple, very short, very to the point, and very powerful. But I want you to notice what he says at the end. He finishes the prayer, and it's as if he said, there's one part of that prayer that you're going to struggle with. And that's the part that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. I don't know what it is about how we want to be forgiven, but it's hard for us to forgive others. Be they our spouses, our kids, our parents, co-workers. I mean, you fill in the blank. I mean, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father, he'll not forgive you. You better take the forgiveness part seriously. He then moved to fasting. I started to leave this one out. I don't like this one. We, we've actually done a poor job of this. Basically, what we did was relegate fasting to the Old Testament. I think it's a great tragedy. I still struggle with it because I wasn't raised this way. I fasted in the past, but not nearly enough. Fasting is simply a way of saying, I'm going to refrain from eating in order for God to focus completely on you. And what's going to remind me of you is this constant hunger I have, but it's a hunger I hope will remind me of my hunger for you, not my hunger for food or drink. And so Jesus didn't say an if you fast, he said when you fast. And once again, he says, don't, don't make it as if you're fasting. I mean, I can just see some of the Pharisees right now. You know, you walk up to them, you could tell they were fasting. You must be fasting, I am. When did you start? About an hour ago. Oh, come on. You know, they're going to mess up their hair. They're going to disfigure their face. And Jesus says they've received their reward. But when you fast, wash your face. Do it in secret. Because fasting ultimately is about you and God. It's not about you and others. It's about you saying to God, during this period of time, I'm all yours. And I'm going to show you I'm all yours by taking that, which is one of the things I enjoy the most, which is eating. And simply not eating while I focus on you. He then moves to another area that you go, whew, that was hard enough. Yeah, this one really gets tough. And that's the believer's attitude toward wealth. And as we were reminded during communion, one of the questions we have to ask is this, where are you storing up wealth? And of all the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount... Maybe, maybe not of all of them, but boy, this is right up at the top. This is one that gives, I think, most of us fits. It does me. As, as I look at, you know, future retirement, as, as I look at, you know, will June and I be able to, you know, kind of be able to do other things at some time in the future, serve in other ways? Will the finances be there to support us? How much will we have? 
You know, this question comes up, and, and Jesus dives right in with one of the hardest statements, I think, in all of Scripture. Do not. I don't know how you can get clearer than that. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth, rust, uh, destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the, the church has got to do a better job in incorporating this in our lives. Let me tell you, when you look at, at this whole text for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, listen, that, that little gauge, that little gauge is pointing towards something, you know, what your treasure is. And it needs to be God. The last thing it needs to be is wealth. Because none of us are taking it with us. The house you own, you don't own that house. You're temporarily leasing it. The car you have, you don't own the car. You're, you're temporarily using it. And we all know that. I mean, at some point, it's all going to be gone. And the question will be, how did we use it in service to our God? I mean, he goes on to say, the eye is the light of the body. And we know that to be the case. But he said, if that light, if that, that light is darkness, how great that darkness is. And his point simply is, if all you're looking at is that almighty dollar, if that's the focus of everything that you do, the reality is, is that your life is full of darkness. Can I ask you a question? What will happen of that which you've accumulated? What will happen to it? Can I tell you what will happen to some of it? What will happen to some of it is your kids will pull a dumpster in and they'll throw it away. I'm telling you the truth. I still remember my mother after she went in a nursing home and no longer could live at the house. She said... Now, don't y'all get rid of that furniture. I want y'all to keep it. Y'all, we didn't want it. I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly, Mom. She loved the stuff that she had. It's just that our houses already were full. Where are we going to put it? I've got an old oak buffet right now sitting in my dining room that my mother bought in 1971. She refinished it. For some reason, I wanted it, and now I don't know why. doesn't match anything in there. June keeps looking at me going, why is that here? And I said, because I told mother I wanted it. I've tried to give it to my brother. He doesn't want it. I've tried to give it to my sister. She doesn't want it. I'm like, I mean, that, that's what's going to happen. And then the other question is, of what's left, what will happen to it? Will it honor God? I mean, are, do, are you even thinking about God when it comes to your final plans? I mean, we need to take more seriously this whole question of, of who we're going to serve because Jesus put it real simple. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't do it. And I think a lot of us are trying, and I put myself in that number. I mean, every time, you know, the lottery gets over a billion dollars, I'm thinking... God might give it to me, right? And, of course, then, then I really do think that God says, if I wanted you to have a billion, don't you think I'd already given it to you? I'm like, ooh, yeah, you probably would have. 
And then it ends with worry and anxiety. What happens when you don't have wealth? And probably a lot of the people there that day didn't have wealth. I mean, when Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, a lot of them there were saying, that's not a problem for me. I don't even have enough to eat tonight. I don't have clothes to wear tomorrow. And so he addresses that. Where are you placing your faith and your trust? And he says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now I know a lot of people do worry about that. Even though we live in America, the richest country that's ever existed, we still have extreme poverty in our nation. And if you don't believe it, just go and visit any of our elementary schools. Just go and sit down with the guidance counselor and says, are there children here in this school who go home where there's nothing to eat? And, and you'll find out very quickly that the hunger problem is far greater than most of us even realize. I mean, we live in a country with so much wealth, and yet so many people are living in tents. So many veterans are, are, are living on the streets. I mean, the list goes on and on of the problems that we have. And yes, I understand that for those who are wealthy, who don't think of God, you have people who are poor, and they don't care to be poor. I get that. But I, I think that's not the majority of both on both ends. Jesus said, just look at the birds. God feeds them. And those who follow me, God will feed you. And, and look at the wildflowers. Most translations translate it lily. The, the Greek word literally is just wildflowers. And he says, look at the wildflowers. These are a picture there in Galilee, Rodney. Taken from Galilee. Beautiful. Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed like these. And he says, so God's going to take care of you. Therefore, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. The Gentiles are seeking these things. And I want to switch to the last. I want, I want to skip verse 33 just for a moment and go to verse 34. Because in verse 34, here's what he says. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Can we get an amen on that? June's mother had some wonderful little one-line quips. I mean, she grew up out in the country. Lived, she lived for... for 70-plus years in the house she was born in. I mean, she never traveled that much. You know, she, she was just an old North Mississippi country lady. But one thing that she had oftentimes say that I, I'll never forget was when you were worrying about what might happen tomorrow, she would simply say, don't borrow trouble. Don't borrow trouble. And by the way, we called her mall. This is a little bit of mall wisdom, you know. But Jesus put it this way, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow's going to take care of itself. You trust in God today. And so what do you do? You realize that whether it's seeking wealth or worrying about what you don't have, notice in the parable of the sower, and others are the ones sown among thorns, they're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the worries, the anxiety, and the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. I mean, here's Jesus saying, the problem is for so many people, it's the worries over here or it's the wealth over here, both of which is choking the life out of them. Don't let it do it. And the way you avoid it is simply by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all will be added to you. That's what he said. And so this week as we go, number one, read chapter 7, study the first six chapters for the next test. 
Number two, continue to pray for the people in Hendersonville, people in Gallatin, people in Sumner County. Make this a regular part of your prayer life. Number three, make the Lord's Prayer your primary prayer this week. This week, if you would, try every day just to recite the Lord's Prayer. And and just let it sink in. Just recite it and think about it. And see what it'll do for you. Because Jesus gave us that prayer for a reason. And then number four, do a spiritual financial audit. Whether it's lack of money or whether it's too much money. Do a serious audit and ask a very simple question. Where is my heart? Where is your heart today? We're going to sing a song. Our shepherds are going to be going to the side. There'll be shepherds upstairs. They got elders on their name tags. Uh, If you've got a need whether it's a need to be baptized, to show your faith in Jesus Christ, or whether it's a need for a request for a surgery coming up or a financial need, go and see them. Shepherds, if y'all head that way right now, they'll be glad to help you. Uh, we'd be honored. June and I are going to be at the very end this morning after services at the front lobby, uh, center door. Uh, if you're a guest, we would love to meet you. If you've got anything we can help you with, let us know right now. Let's together we stand and sing.